Well, how was that? <laughs> we were walking in some tensions this week, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Um, contending and tending, um, rejoicing and lamenting. Uh, this is the Christian life. We get the privilege of walking in these tensions. And Christians can do this. We can do this, right? I don't know if you guys uh, enjoyed uh, listening to Lyle's preaching as much as I did this morning, but yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, this isn't just like the evening guy, like pumping up the morning guy, you know? Uh, this is like, so, so like I grew up on Lyle's preaching and it has shaped and formed me. And I just want to pause and take a minute and I want to remind you, your preaching shapes and forms your people. And that's an incredible thing. It's an incredible privilege. It's incredible responsibility. It's one of the, talk about fun. That is a fun thing to see God use your preaching to shape his people, and Lyle's preaching has shaped me. And so as I was listening, it was just so familiar. Like, I, I know that. That feels so familiar to me. And, um, and as Lyle was preaching, you know, he did this great, this incredible job of sort of painting a picture, kind of taking, I thought I was watching alone, right? Like, taking us along in the TV show. And he has always done this great job of sort of presenting the, the stuff, sort of like a story that he will bring you into. And I want to just pause for a moment before he prays for me, because I will need it tonight. Um, tonight's going to be more, more like a football team watching game film, okay, than, than you watching your favorite movie. But I want to let you know that, um, that watching film uh, may not always be the funnest thing, but it is a necessary thing. My son Luke uh, is uh, 14 years old. He's a freshman football player, and he thinks he's pretty great. And uh, he caught the first, you know. He wears gold chains. Yeah, he wears two plays. gold chains. We call them two chains. Yeah. He caught the first pass of the offensive play of, of, the, of the season for a touchdown, and he thinks he's like the man, the freshman man on campus and all that sort of stuff. And he likes all the glamour of it, you know, and I'm trying to train him around that a little bit. But uh, he's got to also watch film. And last week, our, uh, our varsity team trounced this other team who had a kid that was like a kid from the blind side. And, and our, our coaches had watched film, and they knew how to handle that. And I want to remind you tonight that as we watch this film, and as you think about the reality that there are people in your church or people that will come into your church that, um, that believe the lie that, that God, uh, God chooses everyone and that God loves everyone the same no matter what and that God will keep everyone, that everyone goes to heaven and so you can do whatever you want while you're here, um, we've seen that play before. And there's film on that. And the book of Jude reveals it to us, and we're going to get into it tonight. That's great, man, all right? because that goes all the way back from the first century, right? Yeah. And, uh, and we've got the playbook. And, That's right. And we also have good news, too. We do. You know, as I'm thinking about the things that you shared uh, last night, I've been just uh, marinating on the good news that we're, we're called yeah. and we're loved. We are. And we're kept. That's right. And, uh, and so it, it's just uh, like rays of sunshine yep. all day long and a beautiful day at, at yep. Hume Lake. But then we also recognize that, um, that we have important work to do in this century. That's right. And, uh, and God has called us for such a time as this. I mean, yep. We can we live in such an incredible time where there's so much at stake. There is. And, uh, and I believe that maybe tonight, uh, through what it is that God's going to do in our midst, that we're going to get uh, just kind of one movement closer uh, to being really mighty warriors yeah. in, uh, in, this, uh, in this battle, in this fight that we've been talking about this week. So, yeah, so let's go ahead and bow with you. We're just going to pray. Lord, uh, we just uh, believing tonight that you want to do uh, a work in each one of us, a special work. And, and so, Lord, we want to, uh, God, to have a posture of openness to you, willing to receive what it is that you have for us through your word. And God, believing that you have important work for us to do. And so I pray that you use your servant, Matt, God, as uh, your instrument, God, to move us into your presence, God, to speak to us 
uh, and to change us, Lord. We just uh, are coming here, God, with a willingness to be changed, a willingness to, to think differently, to preach differently, to lead differently. Uh, Lord, uh, there has been a legacy and great things that you've done, uh, Lord, through the men and women in this room up to this point. But, God, we uh, are, are coming to you with a willingness to want to change and grow and repent mm-hmm. and, uh, and be formed more and more into your image. And yeah. so, God, just may this be one of those nights where that happens, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Lyle. If you haven't already, uh, if you could open your Bible to Jude, and we're going to be getting into a chunk of it this evening. Um, the main thing we'll see in the film that, uh, that Jude is running tonight is uh, what the people that we're fighting against, what we're, who, who we're contending against, what, what they talk like and what they might look like. It starts in verse 8 where it says, Yet in like manner these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. They defile the flesh. You're going to hear things from them like, I can do whatever feels good to me. They don't want God or anyone else telling them what they can and can't do with their bodies, what they can and can't put into their bodies, etc. They reject authority. They're going to say things like, you can't tell me what to do. They don't want God or anyone else having any kind of authority over them. And not only that, they blaspheme the glorious ones. They say things like, any kind of spiritual authority is actually just a joke. It's not that they just reject authority. A lot of people are doing that today. It's not just that they reject spiritual authority and emissaries. They actually have contempt for it. Yet in his example, even Michael did not use his own authority when confronting an enemy as great as Satan, but he appealed to a higher authority. Look at verse 9, where it says, but when Michael, the archangel, contending with the devil, you're not contending with the devil, you are in a sense, but if he ever showed up to your house, that means he wasn't in my house, and he has been before, right? So like, you're probably not, that was another pastor joke. (laughs) He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Even Michael appealed to a higher authority. Even Michael appealed to authority of Christ. These kinds of people, listen to me, they will never do that. They are the highest kind of authority in their own life, and they think they're the highest authority in everything. And again, they don't want God or anyone else having any kind of authority over them. You're going to hear things from them like this, like, I'm not for organized religion. And some of you might say, great, I'm not either. (laughs) They might say something like, you know, I'm really just against hierarchical religious structures. Great, that sounds really important, right? This is what they're going to sound like, okay? We're watching film. These are the plays that they are running. This is what they do, but why do they do it? Why do they do it? Verse 10, look at it with me, if I can find it with my glasses. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they're destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Like wild animals, they act this way instinctively. Listen to me. They can't help themselves. They're acting like this with the most base sort of animalistic kinds of of bents. They cannot help themselves. Just as an animal cannot help themselves to to, to do what they're doing. I have a golden retriever, and my nickname for him is Walnut Brain. Because that is the size of his brain. And sometimes he does things that just like, I'm like, why did you do that? Listen to me. He can't help himself, okay? Okay. 
These people in a like way, they just cannot help themselves. That's, I believe, what Jude is trying to show us. Jude gives his audience really the strongest warnings to these people and about these people, starting in verse 11. Look at it with me. He says, woe to them. That's a warning. For they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of the gain of Balaam's heir and perish in Korah's rebellion. Three examples of people that are, you probably already guessed it, under the judgment of God. Right, Cain, that's from Genesis chapter four, and we know the story. Cain was under the judgment of God because he hated his brother for obeying God and always doing what was right before God. And these people will come into your church and we're going to be contending against people that will hate us for doing what is right because it reveals in their own life what is desperately wrong. They're like Balaam. That's in Numbers 25. And this is a tough one. We could talk about maybe around the fire. We're not gonna have the time to dig in tonight. But Balaam was under God's judgment, I believe, because he tempted God's people to do something ungodly so that he could profit from it. I call this the Rob Bell syndrome, right? The Rob Bell syndrome. Back in the day, Rob would make these outlandish statements to attract people to conferences. Things like, does it really matter that Jesus was born of a virgin? Yes, Rob, it does. It does matter. But he would ask those questions. But then imagine asking a a young Christian that question and getting them thinking and getting them down a path that is dangerous for them. And we know where Rob's path ended. Sometimes we will be fighting against people who will tempt you to do things that God says not to do because it profits them to do it. And Korah, Numbers chapter 16, I have a really good friend who named his daughter Korah, and I've always wondered, why? Why would you do that? Korah was under the judgment of God because they did not respect the spiritual authority that was over them. They actually tried to overthrow it. And sometimes we might be fighting against people. Sometimes we will be contending against people that will not only disrespect the spiritual authority that is in the church, but they'll try to overthrow it. And they will try to become the authority themselves. And sometimes they'll do that through bylaws and loopholes and those things. Those are important, by the way. And sometimes they'll do it through relational equity. And sometimes they'll do it just sort of backdoor, sneaky, and you will not see it coming for a while. And this is what these people are like. These are the plays they are running They hate and persecute people that do what is right. They tempt God's people to act in ungodly ways for their own benefit, and they disrespect spiritual authority, and they make themselves the authority. We're watching film, folks. These are the plays that they are running. We've seen this play before. And if the picture wasn't clear enough to Jude's original audience, and if it's not clear enough to, to us, he gives us a bunch of pictures of what they look like. That's gonna be in verses 12 to 13. Look at verse 12 with me. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds. Fruitfulest trees in late autumn. Twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves on the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. They are hidden reefs. They secretly wreck the lives of people in Christ's church. They are shepherds feeding themselves. They are looking out for their own interests, not 
for the interest of the sheep. They are waterless clouds. They promise a lot, but their promises are empty, like a cloud that has no water. They are fruitless trees. They talk a big game, but there's no godly evidence that's being borne out of their lives. They are waves tossed by the sea. They are drawn away by every new spiritual fad, every new deacon whatever movement. They are wandering stars, wandering all over the place and causing others to come along with them. Jude gives us six pretty clear pretty stark pictures of what these people look like, the play that they're running, but it really all comes down to not six things. It really all comes down to one thing. If you're looking for one thing, you're going to look for this one thing. If you're watching film, you want to see this one thing because it comes up in every single play. Look at verses 14 to 15 with me. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such ungodly ways. Are you getting the point? And all of the harsh and things that the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I mean, you don't have to be a great exegete to figure this one out, right? (laughs) The one thing that we're looking for is ungodliness. Anything that doesn't resemble and anything that is opposed to the life of Jesus, who is God in human flesh. If you want to know what godliness looks like, you look to Jesus, correct? And if you want to know what ungodliness looks like, you look to Jesus. Because anything that doesn't resemble him or anything that is against what he resembles is ungodly. Does Jesus speak against godly spiritual authority? It's not a trick question. I know you're thinking about the Pharisees right now, and that's ungodly spiritual authority, okay? (laughs) Does Jesus speak against godly spiritual authority? No. No, Jesus does not speak against godly spiritual authority. Jesus had some harsh words, very harsh words, for the scribes and the Pharisees, ungodly spiritual authority. Does Jesus think about himself first and others last? No. Does Jesus say one thing and do the other? No. Does Jesus make empty promises? Nope. Does Jesus do whatever's best for him? No, he doesn't. Does Jesus tempt God's people? No, he doesn't. You get in the picture? That, that is the picture of ungodliness, anything that's antithetical to who Jesus is and what he does. Even though Jude's given us all of this, and it's a lot, he gives us a few more descriptions just to make sure we're seeing it rightly. And isn't it amazing? It's like we have to watch the film again. I can imagine my son sitting in film tomorrow. They have a game on Thursday, so they'll be watching film tomorrow, and they'll be running the plays, and then they'll run back, and they'll watch it again, and they'll run back, and they'll watch another one. Then they'll go to another one, and they're like, why are we watching all of these plays? Like, we've seen enough. And at this point, you might be saying to yourself, Jude, we've seen enough. Like, I get it. He's like, well, let's just make sure you get it. A good coach would say, let's make sure you get it. So verse 16, these are grumblers. They're malcontents. Following their own spiritual desires, they're loud mouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. They're grumblers and malcontents, people who grumble about their circumstances and they judge God for it. 
and they take it as a license to sin. They don't sit and listen to Brandon lead a psalm of lament and sit there before God and pour their heart out before God about their circumstances and say, God, I don't understand, but I love you anyway, and I worship you. No, no, no. They say, God, this is what's not right in my life, and it's your fault, and so I'm just going to go do whatever I want. Grumblers and malcontents. Loudmouth boasters, they're talking a big game about how their lives are so much better in this new progressive view of God that they have. I have two friends, if I could still call them friends, who I want to be friends with, who, who are just saying like their new progressive view about who Jesus is is just so much better. They're loudmouth boasters about how much better their progressive Jesus is than the Jesus of the New Testament. Showing favoritism, flattering people who will listen to them and give them some kind of favor so they can make progress. This is what you're looking for. These are the kinds of people that you will be contending against and fighting against. And let me tell you, it will be a fight. Like these people are not, they're serious, if you haven't noticed. And you know, Jesus and the apostles, they're serious too, and they told us this was going to happen. And Jude, the brother of Jesus, reminds us, look at verses 17 to 19. He says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. They are scoffers. They're people that mock religion, and even though they describe themselves as some kind of religious people, they cause divisions. They seek to divide God's church and deconstruct God's church and divide his people. These are the kinds of people who, honestly, if I'm just talking like a, like a man, just make me want to fight them. I think there is righteous anger, and let me just give you a quick uh, tidbit. This is an aside because it's not in the passage. Remember to do that? Here we go. Aside, it's not in the passage. Righteous anger is being angry about the right thing for the right reason and handling that in the right way. And that is okay, I think. Not I think, I know. And God, God, righteous anger is, is, is all right. When you're angry about the right thing for the right reason and you handle it in the right way. I think oftentimes our problem is we could be angry about the wrong thing for the right reason and handle it in the right way, or we can be angry about the right thing but for the wrong reason and handle it in the wrong way, or we can be angry about the right thing and the right reason but just handle it in the wrong way, and all of that is unrighteous anger. So to get to righteous anger, you have to be angry about the right thing for the right reason, and you need to handle it in the right way. And this kind of stuff, I think, makes me righteously angry. Does it you? Okay, so back to Jude, all right? Here we are. I think these are the kinds of people, and in, in just in my, my initial gut reaction, they deserve what's coming to them. Kind of like a bully growing up. I don't really like bullies. And I felt like this one bully that I saw get beat up, he just deserved what was coming to him. And these people make me feel this way. And as, even as I talk about it, I can just feel some of it. Like, I, I don't like this because I love Jesus. There was a, remember there's a guy that was riding through the park when I went to UC Irvine and he would ride his bike through the park and on his backpack he had 
Jesus is lard, L-A-R-D. And it just, it just made me so upset. And I, you know, at 40 years old, I'm like, whatever, you know, like I just chalk it up, but like he's just foolish. But that, at that point in time, it just made me upset. And when I, when I think about this and people coming into God's church to do these things, I think it makes me righteously angry. But there is a very unique thing about Christians, and it's this. That Christians are called to fight against some of these things. Shepherds do fend off wolves. Is that right? But Christians are called to fight for people. As well as sometimes fighting against them, or at least against the ideas that they are propagating. We are called to fight for people. You might say, well... (laughs) How do we fight for these kinds of people? How do we fight for them as we're also kind of fighting sort of against them? And there are, there are three techniques, but there's one really important thing before we get to the techniques at the end, and that's in verses 20 to 21. Look at them with me. Jude says, but you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Like, if we want to fight for these people, not just against them, the first thing we have to do is we have to train for the fight. We have to train for the fight. Because training beats non-training 99% of the time. Effort, right, and hard work beats talent most of the time. I can tell you that um, we were talking about this over dinner. Someone said, um, have you ever done any mixed martial arts? And I said, no, I haven't. Matter of fact, it kind of scares me. Um, because back in, in my day with my little, you know, fight club or thing or whatever, you didn't really have to know any of that. But today, you kind of do. There was a guy in my church um, who was sent out a number of years ago to, to start another church in, in a ministry. But he had an MMA ministry. And he was um, a, a kind of a taller but, but kind of skinny, very humble dude with a beard who was just quiet and meek and like the friendliest guy, the quietest guy, the shyest guy. And if you walked up to him in a line and you did the wrong thing, you would regret it. <laughs> because he was trained as a black belt in Hungar Kung Fu. And it was a type of Kung Fu where you have to decapacitate a person in three strikes. And it was meant to train guys who would defend the emperor when they were overwhelmed by a massive amount of troops. And so one, two, three, you're de- de- incapacitated. One, two, three, now you. One, two, three, new. And you would just work your way through people. And in three quick shots that would take less than two seconds, you would be on the ground and you wouldn't know what happened to you. You would never know it, but Stefan had the training. We have to train to do these things, so it's instinctual. And I think there are four things that this verse reveals to us about what that kind of sparring training is like. Four things. They all start with P because I know some of you are Baptists, so I did that on purpose. This is for you. The first one, he talks about building yourselves up in the most holy faith. That's personal discipleship. Right? Building yourselves up in your most holy faith, personal discipleship, that's Bible reading and prayer and spiritual friendship and spiritual disciplines. I want to tell you, these are things that no one else can do for you. You have to start the training on this yourself. This is, this is getting in the Bible and training yourself before you go out and train people in your church. This is letting the word of God 
you know, exegete you before you exegete it for someone else. Right? This, is, this is your own work before God, personal discipleship. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. The second one is prayer. That's an easy one with P because it does start with P. Mm-hmm. Praying in the Holy Spirit. This kind of craning is not just important like your Bible reading, but it's very important because you're actually being trained by, by God himself. You are, when you read Scripture, to be true. In prayer, like you're dialoguing with God about these things. You're saying things to him, and he is saying things to you. He's training you. Paul says in Ephesians 6, praying at all times in the spirit, as he's talking about this sort of spiritual battle, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Prayer is a huge part of the training. Third thing, keep yourselves in the love of God. This one's a stretch, but, but it's partnership or accountability. This is plural for a reason. We cannot do this alone. You cannot fight this battle alone. You have to have spiritual friendship. One of the guys that deconstructed his faith and walked away, I had an, a friend, a spiritual friend, who I helped him to plant a church, and he was really good friends with this other guy, and so he and I were like on it together. Like it was a fight, and we were in it together. Like I needed that partnership from him. I could not do it by myself, and I knew it. As iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Look, this is not soft stuff. Like this is hard. Accountability is difficult. Sparks will fly. (laughs) Could get a little rowdy, but we need that partnership and that accountability. And the last thing we need is we need a little patience. He says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus that leads to eternal life. This is all about taking the long view. One of my one of my favorite books, Lyle mentioned Eugene Peterson. I, I, took, a, I took a class at a Talbot and a graduate class through, um, through some of his books. And um, the one is Long Obedience in the Same Direction. You probably know it and like it. If you haven't read it, maybe you should. It's a great book on just the long game, doing the right things over a long period of time. Jesus wants to sanctify us completely, and that's going to take a little while. On my runs a few months ago, I was listening to this book, uh, audio book called Chop Wood, Carry Water by Josh Metcalf. Anyone listen to that? Yeah. Doing small things over and over again until you're sufficiently trained for the big thing. It's going to take a little while maybe, but let's get to training. Let's continue that personal discipleship and that prayer and that accountability, that partnership with someone else. And let that marinate for a little while and let's sparrow a little while with God and with other people and then, then we can be ready to get into the fight, not just against people, but for them. And Jude, as we end our time together this evening, Jude's going to give us three techniques to use. Uh, and this is really where it sort of gets down to business. Look at verses 22 to 23. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Jude gives us three techniques to handle this, these different situations. The first one I'm just calling mercy. Because mercy is the first thing that Christians receive from Jesus, so it also ought to be the first thing that Christians give in the name of Jesus. We give mercy. And have mercy on those who doubt. 
I want to pause and say this, I believe, is a kind of mercy that's reserved for those that are in that initial stage of doubting. They have some inner conflicts. They have some questions. They have some doubts. And if I could be so bold as to say it, some of you may have some of that going on. Like, you may have some conflicts. You may have some doubts. You may have some inner conflicts and questions that you want answered. You might be embarrassed to even say it. Mercy is reserved for these kinds of people. I bet you if you have a question that you've been struggling with, you've been not wanting to bring it to you, maybe your elders or the people in your church for some reason, because, well, we all know why. They may just not show you mercy. This is what the Bible says, that the first step is to extend mercy. Because we fight against wolves, but hear me, we fight for sheep. <laughs> Even the sheep that doubt. Like these are not people who are leading the charge of defiling the flesh and rejecting authority and blasting the glorious ones. They're not leading the charge, but listen to me, they are leaning into it. They're leaning into their questions. They're leaning into their doubts. And Jude says, show mercy to them. Like, go to them. Who is this for you? Who is this in your church? Is there someone that's leaning into some of this stuff? And you're tempted just to, like, just sort of be done with them. The easier thing is to just be done with them, to just excommunicate them, to just say, maybe you should go over there. Or, I don't think that's the first step. The first step is mercy. And I got to tell you, I have made this mistake. I've made this mistake with a guy who, I think ended up being a wolf in sheep's clothing in some way, but I really never gave him the benefit of the doubt from the beginning. I just basically judged him and, and, uh, and removed him. And I did not give it the time. I did not give him mercy. And I should have. And later after he was down his deconstruction road, I had to go back and I had to tell him that. I had to apologize and say, I'm sorry. I did this wrong. He's still wrong. He's still wrong. I was wrong. I was also wrong. Who is this in your church? Someone like this? I'm just going to give you a minute to write it down. Mercy is the first and it's the best technique, but unfortunately it's not the only one we're going to need. There's a second one, and uh, I'm just going to call it force. <laughs> Save others by snatching them out of the fire. There's more force that is applied. This one is a bit more rough, but the, the desire is still a desire to restore a person, not to exclude them. And I believe this kind of approach is reserved for those that are they're doing more than leaning into these things. They're kind of settling into them. And so if you sense there's someone in your church who's not just leaning in, but just kind of like they've started to settle in in some ways, I, I think this is the technique for them. You snatch them out. Brandon's been talking about the Psalms, and we know where Psalm 1 starts. Blessed are those who walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And you see the progression there, don't you? From walking to standing to sitting. This is what we're talking about. These people have been walking with these people They've stood with them, they've leaned in, and now they are sitting in the seat of scoffers. That's what Jude calls them. I'm not calling them scoffers. Jude calls them scoffers already. Now they're sitting in there, they're settled in, and they're beginning to actively defile the flesh. Right? I'll do whatever feels good to me. Reject authority. You can't tell me what to do. 
or blaspheme the glorious ones. There's no point in any spiritual authority, including yours. Again, we fight against wolves, but we fight for sheep, listen to me, even ones like this. Even sheep that have begun to settle into some of these things. We fight for them. They begin to settle in to their doubt. They begin to settle in to destructive patterns along with it, but we fight for them. We go to them and we say, we're not going to let you do this. It's an intervention type of meeting where you invite someone at some point and then there's like a few other people that show up and they say, we love you too much to let you go down this road. And the person that I'm talking about that I wrote off at the beginning, that was a meeting that we planned to have. Like I sat around a table with with seven other guys and we were planning, we were in the midst of planning a meeting to say, we're gonna invite them over and we're all gonna show up because we're all friends. And we're going to say, we're not going to let you go down this road. Not because you're ruining the lives of people in the church. You're ruining your own and the life of your family. We're going to snatch you out as from the fire. Unfortunately, we never got the opportunity. In part because I handled it wrong. James reminds us of the same thing. My brother's. If anyone among you is wandering from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Who is this in your church? Listen, um, I'm gonna give you a moment to write it down. And as you're writing it down, I just wanna remind you that in your own life, you're gonna wait too long to ask for help. You're gonna wait too late some of you, until, you, until it's too late to ask for help, with things in your own personal lives. Like some of you took the survey that was sent out that we designed through Restore, and, and some of you are going to do some work on that, and you're going you're gonna to come say, hey, Matt, you know, I took the survey. I want to talk about it. And some of you aren't. Some of you are just going to wait till it's too late. And you want to oh, I know because I've worked with tons of pastors and churches, and most churches wait till it's too late to ask for help, and so do most pastors. I don't want you to wait too late because until it's too late, there's probably someone in your church like this that is not only leaning into this, but is kind of settling into it. And I know it's hard and it's awkward, but like you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to get in there before it's too late. So who's that person? Write someone down. There's one last technique. Unfortunately, there's, there's gotta be one more and I'm gonna name that one caution. Caution. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. There are times when you get into a fight with someone who's a bit stronger than you think they are, and uh, <laughs> you should use a little caution. I, I, I'm not a very big guy anymore. I feel like I've uh, never been a big guy. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of shrinking a little bit even more, and uh, I'm only 48, you know? So who knows what's going to be when I'm 101 like my grandpa. I'm going to be like, <laughs> I'm walking down here. But a couple months ago, I was walking out of a local place that I go to eat because I'm trying to share Christ with the people there, and I did wedding for one of the servers, and I know everyone in there. And, um, and I was walking out, and I was actually walking on my way to a church meeting. And there was a guy that was coming out of a gym that's near it with his girlfriend, and he was yelling at her and berating her. And, um, and I don't know how, but out of my mouth came, uh, hey, you going to let him talk to you like that? And uh, they both turned around and... Uh, he said, who are you talking to? And I said, um, out of my mouth came, uh, I'm, I'm talking to her. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but maybe I should be talking to you. 
and he was like, you don't want to blankety blank the blank the blank. I mean, the stuff he called me, like, you know, I obviously can't repeat here, or I probably wouldn't repeat it anywhere. Um, and uh, we, we sort of talked a little bit, and I thought to myself, I don't know why it came out of my mouth, <laughs> because this guy would crush me, you know? And he was angry. And um, it got diffused, and they walked separate ways, and I felt like I helped this woman. And I felt like I just averted, like, a crisis, you know, <laughs> in my own life personally. Like, I was barking up the wrong tree, right? <laughs> but it just came out. Look, there are sometimes in the spiritual realm, there's sometimes in life, like, you're going to go and you're going to start this with someone who, who has read a lot of books and has read a lot that you haven't read and knows things, and they have they have sophisticated arguments, and maybe you've been through some of them. And I'm not saying you're barking up the wrong tree. You're not. But you're going to get into something with someone who might be in some way a little stronger than you. And I think here the idea is you want to continue to show mercy to these people. But as you get up close and personal with them, you don't want to be overpowered or persuaded by them. There was one of the seven guys that was sitting around the table with me and my buddies that was around that crew of guys that was going to go to the meeting with the other guy. And that guy thought, after it got diffused, that he could do it himself. And I knew, as, one of, as his pastor and his friend, that he could not. He was not ready. He had not trained. He was barking up the wrong tree. And he went by himself and he was led astray for a season. And praise God, I think today he's sort of back in some ways. But he wandered away for a while because this other guy took him along with him. Galatians 6 says it this way. Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You should go. This is nothing to be afraid of. You should go. But you should keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Last question, who is this in your church? Who is that person that you know this is true about? Who is this person that's maybe left already, but you want to go after them, that you know this is true about, but you're not going to go by yourself? You should use a little caution. Listen, I want to tell you that um, this stuff is here for a reason. You know what the reason is? It works. It works. There's always good news for us as Christians because Jesus is only and he is altogether good. And his word is good and his spirit is good and powerful and everything that he reveals to us is good and what he tells us to do is good and the outcomes of what he tells us to do are good. They're good. This works. When you go to a person who is beginning to doubt and you don't judge them but you show mercy to them, good things can come out of that. And when you go to that person who's sort of leaning in but has started to kind of settle in a little bit and you don't judge them as much as you love them and show them mercy and you walk with them and you're intentional with them and you say you're going to meet with them and you're going to answer their questions and you're going to pray for them but you're going to continue to call them back to the truth of the gospel, good things can and do come out of that. 
And there are even times when you would go to someone who has read a lot of books, they've been led astray with a lot of thoughts and, and principles, and you're feeling overwhelmed, like I can't keep up, and they listen to more podcasts, and they feel more intellectual, and whatever it is, you go out, you go with them, to with them with someone else, you use caution, but you show them mercy, you urge them to come back, and I'm telling you right now, this works. Jesus works. His spirit is at work in the lives of people. That was what he did in the beginning, wasn't it? He regenerated our hearts. He took hearts that were hearts of stone and he softened them and he turned them into hearts of flesh. And he called us and invited to himself. Like he can continue to do those things. He can take the heart of a person who is wandering and he can turn them back when they are shown mercy. Because as Christians, we have this unique thing. We don't just fight against people or against the ideas that they propagate. We fight for them. And I think Jude is telling us as we go back into our churches, there are some people we need to fight for. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that uh, we're going to end up tomorrow night talking about the person that fights for us. And that would be you. That you're our big brother. And you come alongside and you strengthen and you encourage and you have our back. I thank you that when we go with your kind of mercy and in your name, there's nothing that's impossible for you. And so we ask you to to help us to see who are the people that we need to extend mercy to, that you forgive us for, for potentially judging them too quickly or just sort of getting rid of them because it's, they're too sticky, it's a headache, it takes too much time, it's all of those things. It's maybe potentially dangerous to someone that we know and love, but we just write them off because we, we don't want to deal with it. Lord, forgive us. Lord, thank you for forgiving me for doing that. Help us to believe that that we can go show mercy, that we can go and, and use force, grab people out, that we can go in your name and with caution, urge, and con constrain them to come back. And we thank you that, that there are people that you are bringing back to yourself. And we thank you for being the kind of God that is powerful enough to do that. Give us a lot of hope surrounding these things. We need it. We ask it in your name. We ask it for your sake, Jesus.